Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. We call it the saddest meat cute that ever existed. Hi, I'm Michael Casson. Welcome to Good Company, where I'll explore how marketing, media, entertainment, and tech are intersecting, transforming our lives and the way we do business at a breakneck speed. I'll be joined by some of the greatest business minds and strongest leaders who will share how they've built companies from the ground up or transformed them from the inside out. My bet is you'll pick up a lesson or two along the way. It's all good. I want to welcome everybody to Good Company today and tell you that I'm excited to have the pleasure of speaking with Lemonada Media's CEO and co-founder, Jessica Cordova-Kramer and the co-founder and chief creative officer, Stephanie Whittles, Wax. Lemonada is an award-winning independent audio-first podcast network with a mission to make life suck less. Holy schmanoli. I can't wait to hear more from Jessica and Stephanie. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure. And, you know, what attracted me in our first conversation was the road you've taken to get here. And it was inspiring to me on a level. And Jess, I think in that very first conversation, you knew you kind of in my best Renee Zellweger moment, you had me at hello when you told me that story. Uh, But I wonder if you could share that story with our audience about your backgrounds, respectively, both professionally and personally. And, you know, what were the motivators behind you coming up with the idea and founding Lemonada? Well, I'm Jess. And in 2017, I was making a podcast called Pod Save the People with DeRay as part of Crooked Media. And a sad thing happened, which is I lost my little brother accidentally to an overdose. He had battled addiction for about a decade. And I got the news, nobody wants to get. And it completely rocked my world on the one hand. And on the other, I'm a mom with two kids. I had a crazy job, a husband and a house. And I was trying to put one foot in front of the other and keep my life together. Uh, Losing Stefano was not something I ever thought I would have to deal with. And as part of my grieving process, I found this podcast about people dying. (laughs) And if anyone's been through grief, it's like misery loves company or just being in community is is helpful. Hearing other people have survived things that are similar to what you're dealing with is helpful. And I saved this episode of this podcast. The podcast is called Terrible Thanks for Asking. It's a fantastic show. I saw the description and it said sister of a brother who died of a heroin overdose. And I was like, oh, that sounds like a good podcast for me to listen to on my birthday, which, you know, these milestones after loss are just awful. First birthday after losing my little brother. And um, it was February. It was Minnesota where I live. I took a walk. I popped my earbuds in and I felt myself physically smiling for the first time because there was this hilarious woman on this podcast named Stephanie Whittles Wax with her mother, two Jews, so freaking funny, on the other side of grief, two years after losing their son and their brother, Harris Whittles, to the same illness that killed my brother. And Harris was the person who wrote Parks and Rec and Master of None and was a phenomenal comedian. I didn't know anything about Stephanie at that moment. All I knew, she was me. She was like me and she was surviving and she was funny. I didn't know she was a world-renowned voice actress. I didn't know she was a writer. I didn't know she was a theater director. I didn't know we'd gone to NYU together um, and lived in the same dorm. There were a million things I didn't know, but, and I'll let her pick up the story from here. I did reach out to her and say, hey, we're the same. Can you grab some time and chat? And under the guise of being a producer at a big podcast network, she said yes. The end of the story is that I slowly wore her down 
and made her start this company with around our barrel of of lemons. But um, I'll let her pick up the story from there. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's rare at that point. I was a week away from giving birth to my second child, in no position to be taking calls from strangers. And yet something about Jess, you know, like she said, when you hear someone who has lived your exact experience, you want to commune with them. You want to share and swap stories. So we got on the phone, we talked for 90 minutes, and at the very end, she snuck in. Would you ever want to make a podcast about the opioids crisis? And I, at this point, had written a book about losing my brother. I'd gone on a tour about it. I, you know, like her, my my life was truly destroyed by heroin. And I, I didn't want to talk about it anymore. I didn't want to think about it anymore. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. I hated it. And I wanted to have the baby and and just keep going with my my quote unquote normal life. Unfortunately, when these things happen, they shake you so violently out of your current circumstances. It's almost like I can't actually go back to the way things were because I'm completely fundamentally different inside now. And I tried to ignore the seed that just planted in my Stephanie, I want to interrupt for a second because I want to just ask a question because you said something that really resonated with me there. And I don't want to break your flow, but I want to, you know, I remember sticking out to me when Sheryl Sandberg went through the loss of David, her husband. She wrote that book, Plan B or whatever, which was, you know, that's not what you just said. She said something early on, which it won't be what it was. It won't be the same. No. No, I, it's not going to get back to normal. It's a new normal. That's right. However she articulated, I remember that just making sense to me. Yes, you'll go on with life, but it's not going on the same way. It's going on a different way. I, and you were kind of alluding to that. I just, I, I yeah. didn't mean it. No, it, it's, it's, it's so profound and it's so universal. In fact, the first essay that I wrote after my brother died, because this is how I process, I've always been a writer and a storyteller. It was called The New Normal. That was the essay. That's what it was called. Right. And I remember Cheryl saying that, and I I happened to know David well and Cheryl well, so it was you know closer to home when he passed, but that's what I'd remember. Yeah. And, and you know, these moments, <laughs> I didn't ask for it. I didn't want it. I honestly, I, I, I would have rathered the plan A, let's use Cheryl's book title, because it would have my brother still here, who was in addition to being my blood sibling, my best friend, my best friend. When Jess and I talk about this, it's like we have lost our our history. We've lost our identity as sisters. We've lost the person who, when our mother is driving us insane, sorry, mom, if you're listening, I love you. I can call and say, dude, what is wrong with this person? Right. And no one else in the world <laughs> will do it on a level. Having lost a sibling, not under the same circumstances, certainly, but having lost a sibling, I say I had the expectation that at some point I'd lose a parent. Yeah. It's different with a sibling. It is. It really is. It really is. Yeah. It feels really fundamentally unfair. It feels like this is not what's supposed to happen. And it's like, I used to say to Steph, like, you know, we got to put our parents first because they lost their kids. And she'd be like, you know what? They like get to pass away at some point. We're just stuck here standing alone <laughs> with no one to go through life with. Like, it's worse for us. It's worse for us. As far as we were close with our brothers. We were close. As proven when we chatted the very first time, I could talk about this part of Illuminata yeah. for hours because the emotional connection is real. But I, I want to focus on what that 
how that acted as, as the motivator for you to, you know, to make life suck less as an evil. Yeah. To start a a media company. Yes. The funny story there is that it didn't, Michael, like (laughs) there was this very organic, Jess and I had this true mission to figure out what we could have done differently to save our brothers. Right. We were like, yeah, let's get in there. Let's figure it out. And in the doing that, we were like, hey, life is so hard. This was before COVID. Life is so, it is hard in so many ways, not just drugs. What if we really leaned in on that and made content and community around all of this stuff that is sucking for people, that is keeping me awake at night at 3 a.m. or waking me up from a dead sleep at 3 a.m. panicking about something? What if we leaned in and really did that with authenticity and honesty and first-person narratives and you know, Jess and I are both very driven, type A, some might say workaholics, if you will. And when you also lose the most important person to you and your life is sort of blown up, and we were just talking about this, you're forced to go on a different path because you're no longer who you were, the stakes are less high in terms of, well, what if the business fails? Jess and I were both very aligned from the beginning. If the business fails, that's not the worst thing that could happen. We've We've survived the worst thing that could happen. Yeah. I mean, the business side of this story is we were pitching this show last day, um, which Stephanie hosts around. It's our flagship show. It's in its fourth season now. It's wildly successful. It just won its like 11th award, um, a Webby for best documentary. And we were getting back from people and too dark, too niche. And nothing we do is too dark. Everything we do, just like this conversation, has humor and levity. The first episode of last day's. Sarah Silverman and Aziz Ansari. It's funny. It's funny. Even though we're talking about death and sad things, um, we're making it palatable. And we said to ourselves, man, no one's going to take the show because no one gets it. Let's just do it ourselves. Like I, I had been at Crooked. Steph had run her own theater. We had a whole bunch of other things on our resumes that made us potential entrepreneurs. Neither of us had ever run a venture-backed media company, um, but like we had nothing to lose. Um, so we decided we would create an entire network. We We went to market with all this data around how miserable people were in 2019 when we launched something like 44% of people reported feeling extremely lonely. Pre-pandemic, interestingly enough. Pre-pandemic, pre-pandemic, right? And last they launched and we did it really with our own cash. And uh, we we created a very small, mostly contractor-based network and didn't pay ourselves in the beginning. Um, We got that show out. It was huge from the start. And then the pandemic hit. And all of a sudden, a company that was about making life suck less and helping people get out of bed in the morning with non-political, brand-safe, thoughtful content that mirrored the human experience and tried to make it a little bit better made a lot of sense. And that is sort of how we went from a tragedy to an idea to we now have 37 original podcasts under our belt. We'll have about 45 by the end of the year. And I think today is kind of a milestone for us to be having this conversation because I did some homework. Occasionally I do. And uh, I noted that between Blind Plea and Wiser Than Me, you have the number one and the number five podcast right now as we speak. So thank you for those of you who are listening to us, as soon as you're done listening to us, you know where you need to go. But Talk about that because that's a pretty interesting statistic to lay down at you know at the start of a conversation about Lemonada to be number one and number five. You know, I'm curious who's two, three, and four, but I like the number one position. Yeah. I just told Jess 
this morning. I went to lunch with my family yesterday, and I have a nine-year-old and a five-year-old. I told Jess the five-year-old could care less what I have to say and is in another world altogether. My nine-year-old who was planted on earth was having a conversation and saying, mom, that's so cool. You know, you, you, you have two shows in the top 10. Wow. And I said, it is so cool. And also please note that these shows were number 36 and 37. There are 35 before this that did not hit number one. It has taken us five years to get to the point where we have enough experience and failures and you know, data to sort of pull from and tweaking and and sustaining those moments where you want to throw in the towel and, you know, just say, forget it. You know, the story from a Hollywood perspective, when Larry Tish bought CBS years and years and years ago for a, a, a hot minute, the Tish family owned CBS and it was pilot season and the development executives came in to see him and said, Mr. Tish, we just want to let you know that we've got 28 pilots that we're going to put up. But the likelihood is only one or two of them will see the light of day. And he said, well, good. Just make those two. (laughs) (laughs) Right. If only. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's so meaningful to get here, I think, because we know what it has taken to to get here and how much strategy and blood, sweat and tears, you know, have gone into it. Yeah. One of our executive producers is Sabrina Mirage on um, she's helped finance Blind Plea, which is our number one show right now. And and the range of these two shows I'll talk about in a second. We do a lot of different kinds of shows. But Sabrina texted me this morning and was like, what are the tricks? How how did you get the show to number one? It's like, I was like, literally no tricks, Michael. There's no tricks. One of the things (laughs) that I, I have asked content media executives over the last several years is back in the day, these things were done by your gut. Those who've got a good gut generally pick hits and whatever. But now that you have data, what's the level of relying on your gut and what's the level of, you know, modifying your gut with data and what leads if you're making a decision on, you know, what's the trajectory of that show? Do I think, you know, what are the criteria and, you know, are you using that data to help make those decisions or are you using your gut that says, I think this is a good story. I think this is in line with our ethos of, you know, make life suck less. And, you know, what say you? Yeah. I mean, there's always a level of instinct that comes with this and anyone who tries to algorithm their way to hit shows exclusively is going to be very sad when things don't work out. So there, there's there's a, a lot about AI coming because what you just said is yeah. you still need the human touch. You do. You still need a human touch and you need it at every level. So what I always say to people is it's a million little things done well, even if the show doesn't hit number one, even if it's you know just a successful series. But we do, we do have an algorithm. We call it the Lemonada Scorecard. In some audiences, we call it Moneyball for Podcasting, but it helps us understand what elements of a show consistently make it more likely to be a hit series or a mega hit in some cases. And, you know, we're not going to share the, the details and proprietary, but it's so, it's so obvious. It's just hard to do. It's like, if there's a host, is the host going to hustle? Are they in it? Is this their priority? Is there white space? Is this something that 50 other people are doing? Like, or is it solving a unique issue that people really need solved for them? Lots of people. So there's things like that that we'll sort of look at and we hone it every single year with our new shows that have launched to help, you know, inform our understanding. But in the end, there's a million things that Stephanie's team on the production side and creative side um, and new content development side and my team on the marketing 
and more operational and business side are doing all together, arms linked to help each show thrive in its own way. And for us, the, the brand is Make Life Suck Less. And really, there's a million things that can fall into that. So for these two examples with Blind Plea, we've got a series that is told in the true crime fashion, but is really about criminalized survival, Black women in the justice system, and generational trauma. And we want people to learn about those things, but we want to reach millions of people, um, not small numbers of people. So we create something. Blind coming from justice is blind, I presume? It's actually called Blind Plea because there's a thing that nobody knows about called blind pleas, where prosecutors and judges give defendants a choice between going to trial or taking a plea deal that they don't know the sentence for. Got it. Um, Got it. So that's what I was it's, a tax it's lawyer, so I didn't do yeah, yeah. work, so I wouldn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Well, lots of lawyers don't know about it anyway. Like, it's very yeah. rare. Yeah. Yeah. And then on the other side, we have Julia Louis-Dreyfus's show. Wiser Than Me, which sat at number one for a month straight and is still in the top five podcasts and is a show where she's... Well, Steph, why don't you tell about the show? Yeah, she... Julia had a really clear vision for this, which is that we don't hear from older women in our country. We we throw them away. We, you know, they're sort of tropes and, um, you know, we're ignoring the wisdom of half the population Julia said, I want to get knowledge from the front lines. I want to know how they did it, how we can nail this life thing, right? And we helped her bring that vision into a concrete show that people are just absolutely raving about. At the end of every episode, she calls her mother. They download about it. The conversations are just absolutely riveting. It's like the stuff, the stories, the pearls that you will never get by Googling. You will never, right? And when you think about somebody like Jane Fonda, who's been interviewed a billion times, that's a that's an official stat. You're hearing and learning things in this show that she's never said before. She, by the way, is a marvelous storyteller. I mean, same with Julia. Yeah, but it's, I mean, to your question, though, I think the gut part really has to come in in the beginning, right? When you see that sort of kernel of an idea and you say, like, this is something, there is a gut instinct around that. And then there is obviously when you get into the making of the show, that is an incredibly arduous process. I mean, I think the first episode of Blind Plea has gone through over 30 revisions, right? The script says V35, right? Because we are honing and honing and honing. And an AI can't do that. That is a, what is the pacing? How is this affecting me? What is the sort of visceral experience of the audience? That takes such a fine paintbrush to sort of get those details. Right. And so, you know, I think we are having a really nice mix of data and gut instinct. And those are working in relationship all the time. So let me ask you a question. Over the past year, and obviously you, you launched in 19, I guess I came up with something, you know, we talk about BC and AD, I guess we have to be talking about BP and PP, you know, pre-pandemic or PP and, and uh, PP, <laughs> yeah, pre-pandemic and post or, or before <laughs> pandemic, post-pandemic. I don't know where we I'm got going. it. We got it. We got it. PP and, 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 and PP. And PP. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But you you started in the BP um, over this last year as we're on the PP of it all. Mm -hmm. Is there any surprising content development that, you know, nobody would have expected that X would happen? I mean, you know, I was chatting with somebody this morning who is a famous creator, and he was talking about the fact that, you know, one particular show that got buried, nobody thought would happen. And I just read it. It was just how somebody had turned out, you know, 
it's it's legendary in Hollywood. This studio turned down this and it becomes the biggest hit in the world. So was there anything surprising this year that you went, boy, I didn't expect that either within your stable or in the market in general, where it was a stand back and whoa, kind of a moment for you? Was it, was there anything you saw in content development that made you stand back and go, whoa? I'll speak for myself. I see Jess is still thinking. So I, I am. I know. I know when she's thinking. You know when your business partner. My God, I, I like every single facial expression. I know it's like she haunts my Steph. That's magic. It is when you can have nonverbal communication with your business partner or your life partner or just close friends. That's a magical moment because you. First of all, it's an advantage. Yeah. Because the two are communicating, and I had no idea. So that's number one. <laughs> And you knew exactly what each one was thinking, which is, you know, one for you. And <laughs> I'm just the poor snook out here saying, what did that mean? Go ahead. <laughs> no, it's true, though. I mean, that is that is this uh, bond between the two of us is uh, pretty amazing. It is um, it is probably the most intense relationship I've ever had. And I'm married for a long time. But the the the, the relationship with your partner is really something. Well, I, I want to tell you that because, you know, recently, MediaLink, not recently anymore, a year and a half ago, I bought MediaLink back from the company. I'd sold it to and we partnered with United Talent Agency, as mm -hmm. I think you know. Yeah. And someone said to me the other night, we were out to dinner and they said, so, Michael, it's a year and a half. How's it working out with UTA? I said, well, it's about an eight out of 10. And they said, only eight out of 10. And my wife was there. And I said, well, let's be clear. I said, we've been married for 49 years and that's only an eight out of 10. And I said, <laughs> yeah. What wife, are we, what are we going for here? Perfection? That's I said, ridiculous. no, no, honey, relax. I said, relax, honey. I'm the eight. You're the 10. <laughs> there you go. Wait, good save. Wait is very good, nice. Good save. That's very nice. I, I, you're still married. Good. Good job. Um, married, yeah. Way to yeah. go. So I think what was surprising to me is that you know, Julia's show is wonderful. It is wonderful. She is an absolute delight. I mean, like being in a room with her is just a form of pure joy to hear her laugh. It really does lift the spirits in a way that is singular. However, at the end of the day, this is a show with two people sitting down and having a conversation, right? That is like the crux of that is why the art form was invented, like people in a room behind two microphones just chatting, right? And and yet, like, this still has the potential to have this much power, right? I think that the idea that I think we feel like as creators, we've got to keep doing it more and better and bigger and, and keep surpassing all the things we've already done and throwing more bells and more whistles. And really, at the end of the day, what we had was a tremendously hardworking, charismatic host who prepped her butt off for each of these conversations, who became a true expert in the person she was interviewing over the course of many prep sessions, and then sat down and had this beautiful exchange. And, and the audience is like weeping and loving it and sharing it. And it's like this power of just two people connecting that is is so simple and not, not complicated whatsoever. And I think I was, I mean, I, I, I knew it was going to do well. I knew the show was going to do well. I don't think I understood that it would do as well as it did. I think it's breaking like every podcast record that has ever ever existed in terms of downloads and parts. Yeah. And yeah, it's, and it is like it's an interview show. But I to continue to answer your question, Michael. I think if you zoom out, what's happening is that people are extremely tired of 
how difficult life is. We all just lived through a pandemic. A lot of people died during that time. Some of them died of COVID. Some of them died of other things. A lot of bad things happened. It was terrifying. We've been through some traumatic political times in our country. Um, And I think if you're seeing stuff that's really working, Apple TV has Ted Lasso. I'm just watching somewhere, somebody on uh, HBO. Tig Notaro just came on one of our shows and talked to staff about just how much people's personal experiences are permeating comedy now. John Mulaney's stand-up is to die for. Literally one of the best things I've ever seen in my life. People are willing to experience and understand through story other people's pain. So Blind Plea is a story about a Black woman in Alabama who doesn't get justice, even though she deserved it. And people want to hear about that too. Like if you package it in a way that is helpful to people and healing to them, that's the, that's then the that is what people are consuming right now. They are just desperately wanting that. Yeah. Am I just taking away sadness or am I taking away lessons? Yeah. And and lessons are better than sadness, but sadness is okay too. Cause sadness, you know, uh, I was taught by my grandmother in relationships. One must go through four seasons, you know, summer, winter, spring, and fall. It's called life. So you're going to have those moments of sadness. You're going to have those moments of cloudiness. You're going to have that, those moments of sunshine. And so shining a light on them, you know, I looked at the pandemic in an interesting way. I, I said, trying to use humor for a not funny circumstance, but the idea of other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? You know, we put most of what went on during the pandemic in the other than that bucket. And you looked at them, some of the magic again, it's hard to use the word magic when so many, you know, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people were going through devastation. And yet we were able to fortunately have some magic that came out of that. Yeah. And sometimes you feel guilty for saying that because you say, gee, how can I have had a good circumstance when everyone else was suffering? You know, that's not thoughtful either. But yet I look at that moment and say, yeah, there were really depressing times. And yes, the kids who got cheated out of graduations and senior years and education and all of those things, forget the obvious devastation, hard to replace that. But the experiences that we all had, those of us who were more fortunate, to not yeah. go through direct trauma, mm-hmm. you know, we did lose some friends, but mostly, to be honest, parents of our mm-hmm. friends, mm-hmm. you know, elderly. So it wasn't, we didn't get a, many direct COVID hits, although crazy as it is, we did more recently. Mm. But where I'm going is even in the in the darkness, you can make life suck less yeah. by the lesson from that darkness. That's exactly the space we live in constantly. Like, There is such beauty and magic that has come out of like the most profound sorrow and tragedy that she and I have experienced, but finding each other and building this thing, you know, Lemonada would not exist if if there had not been trauma before that. So there's this constant feeling of like, I've gotten something really meaningful out of this because I have to, how else am I going to go on if I don't? What's next for Lemonada, guys? Boy, um, yeah. I mean, a year from now, what are we going to be talking about? Well, I mean, let's 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 figure out what's happening with this financial situation in this country. But right now, we're 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 holding steady. The thing about make life suck less is brands are like, yes, where do I? How do we? Let's do this. Like this is exactly what people. You know, if you if you're a person who created a meal kit or you're a person who 
runs a huge health company, like that's exactly what you're trying to do too, as an entrepreneur or as a runner of a fortune five company. So it is really awesome to be able to grow and align like beyond just the talent side, which is incredible. And talent's coming to us now. It's like, if you, if you've built a career in comedy or in writing or in any other space, you want to trust the podcast network you're working with to care about your career too. So we're building this beautiful thing. And our plan for 2024 is household name. That's our sort of North star is we want someone, we want someone to walk into your kitchen and be like, I'm listening to a Lemonada podcast and the other person be like, oh, which one? And to know exactly what that means and to find some sense of solidarity with that person. Like, oh, I listen to this. Do you listen to this? I'm listening to it when I'm taking a walk because I can make my mental list of how to make my life better or, oh my God, it's a riveting story. And I did all these things as a result of it. Um, So that's our sort of North Star at the moment. And our team is really aligned. Our producers, our marketing team, everyone around that goal. It's a really mission aligned organization. That is one of our core values. So growth in a way that is actually helpful to people, I would say, is what we're aiming for right now. And what about the opportunities for those podcasts to be reimagined in video and in other, I mean, how, how do you look at that as a, as a potential, not next step, but, you know, ancillary step? We've always been audio first. We, we said from the beginning, like, we are going to do the thing that we know how to do best. And, you know, if Jess and I, the first week we ever met, the first weekend we ever met, her husband and her came down to Texas where I lived at the time. I now live in California a pandemic move. Thank you, pandemic. Speaking of the magic, Michael, I never would have left Texas had it not been for the pandemic. But anyway, they came down and we met and we did, we took out a big giant white post-it and did the Simon Sinek, what is the why, right? Why are we doing this? And the inner circle of our why is to make the hard a little easier. That was what we wanted to do. And now we've turned that into make life suck less, which is much catchier in my opinion. And so the, the sort of next ring of that was by making podcasts. How are we going to do that? By making podcasts. The next part of that is to get it into more eyes and ears. So obviously, if our content can hit more people on a greater sort of more massive scale, we are all in for that. But it's, you know, it's not life-changing in terms of like the the financial profit you're going to make, like, you know, from optioning a script or something like that or optioning an idea. But there is that potential of getting eyes and ears on on more of our of our work, which is always our goal, right? That's part of the household name aspect of our of our goal of our strategy. Yeah, and we we have op- we have some stuff out there. We own and control most of our IP or co own it with our talent. So when it makes sense, when we're working with, if there's like producers out there or writers who just see the world the way we see it and want to make mass market TV shows, film scripted, unscripted, that mirror the experiences we've created on the podcast, we're down. Well, you know, in the spirit of time, I want to say, first of all, thank you, because this has been, for me, you know, 45 minutes of really kind of making life suck less. And I can't take that. You own it. But Mm. you've certainly done that for me. And I hope for our listeners today, because just listening to your stories and the serendipity, really. I, I'm sure that's probably too lively a word for going through what you went through and what brought you together. And I always look at those things as what brought people together, the sliding doors aspect of that. If you both didn't have that moment in your life, you wouldn't be together and Lemonada wouldn't be here. So I'm I'm a fatalist that way. That was a little movie that a lot of people didn't see, but it kind of 
transcends oh, good. Yeah. little movie. So I good. tell the story of having asked my wife out on our first date and she didn't respond. And then on that Friday, she never responded. And the likelihood was zero that I would have ever called her again. And I mean, she took the call. She said, I don't know. I may be going out of town and then never called me. And on that Friday afternoon, we were crossing the street and literally ran into each other in the middle of the street. And I looked at her and I'd only seen her for five minutes before, but I looked at her and I said, well, I guess you didn't go out of town. And she said, ah. I'm so embarrassed. She said, I, I, I can go out. If we didn't run into each other in the middle of the street, I wouldn't be sitting here. So I'm a big believer in that. Wow. I love that. That's and amazing. you guys had a sliding door moment on something horrible, but that's how life works. We, we, we call it the saddest meat cute that ever existed. Is, is our story. Correct. You know, Jessica and Stephanie, I want to really thank you for taking the time today. As I said, you made my life suck less, and I'm certain our, our listeners will share that. Thank you for joining me on Good Company, and thank you for bringing Lemonada to the world. Thanks for having us, Michael. Thank you. I'm Michael Casson. Thanks for listening to Good Company. Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. A special thanks to Lena Peterson, Chief Brand Officer and Managing Director of MediaLink, for her vision on Good Company. And to Jen Seeley, Vice President, Marketing Communications of MediaLink, for programming amazing talent and content. 